Welcome to One World Radio Station, promoting the oneness of God, oneness of religion, and oneness of humanity.
This is One World Radio Station. Contact us at info at oneworldradiostation.org. These tablets have shaped our identity, and they've shaped, of course, the plants that we have followed throughout all the years since then. So now, you know, we find ourselves in the 21st century, and we are working with plants that are an iteration of that original plan that Abdu'l-Bahá gave to Canada and to the United States, that the plan that we're working with now is not a different plan. It's simply the latest installment in that plan. In 1908, the Young Turks' Rebellion released all of the political prisoners in the Ottoman Empire, and for the first time in over 40 years, Abdu'l-Bahá was free. On April 11, 1912, he arrived in New York. Abdu'l-Bahá came to North America in 1912 and 1913. He spoke in synagogues, he spoke in churches, he spoke to the theosophists, the Esperantists, every society that you could imagine. And he, he had a message for, for people in North America in particular. He praised them for their capacity um, to establish peace in the world, um, that they were free of some of the constraints that were felt in Europe. And he, he praised the capacity of the people of North America, their entrepreneurship, their, their get up and go. Abdu'l-Bahá was filled with praise, unlike the whole rest of the human race. North Americans were a cross-section of humankind. This gave, I think, a unique sense of what Abdu'l-Bahá was talking about when he talked about one single human family living in one single homeland, the Earth. So he traveled throughout North America, he came to Canada, he visited the city of Montreal, and he was particularly drawn because May Maxwell, who had, who had been one of the first 
pilgrims from North America to visit him. She had settled in Montreal with her husband, and and, uh, they had a small child. And they had started a very lively but small Baha'i community there. Abdu'l-Baha left no doubt about the young country's destiny. The future of the Dominion of Canada is very great, and the events connected with it infinitely glorious. The eye of God's loving kindness will turn towards it, and it shall become the manifestation of the favors of the all-glorious. He said that material prosperity and material progress is not sufficient. If it's not balanced with spiritual progress, it will lead to dire consequences. And he warned people over and over again about this prospect of war looming on the horizon. They called it the war to end all wars. In the midst of the First World War that he had predicted, Abdu'l-Baha wrote the first of a series of 14 tablets called the Tablets of the Divine Plan. He penned these tremendous tablets to the Baha'is of North America, to the Baha'is of Canada and the United States, the co-heirs of, the, of these tablets. And they have been regarded, they are, will stand for all time, I think, as the charter for the teaching uh, work in the Baha'i community. O ye blessed souls, travel ye to the east and to the west of the world and summon the people to the kingdom of God. The moment this divine message is carried forward, and is propagated through the continents of Europe, of Asia, of Africa, and Australasia, and as far as the islands of the Pacific. This community will find itself securely established upon the throne of an everlasting dominion. These tablets have prayers in them that are, to me, tremendously moving. He refers to himself as a stranger fallen upon the ground, and he implores um, God's help to sustain him. Well, these are words that he actually gives to us to say. But when I read these prayers, I think of Abdu'l-Baha, and I think about his trip through North America. And I become very moved because I think these are perhaps the emotions that he felt. One figure ranging across this vast continent, seeking to spread this message of peace, for which he had been imprisoned for all of his life with his father, and seeking for those 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 people who who whose souls were awakened enough to listen to this message to embrace it and to rise up to champion the cause of peace they are the most remarkable uh charter that you could imagine being given when you when you look at the smallness yes. of numbers <laughs> at the time abdul baha wrote the tablets, there may have been a dozen believers in Canada, yeah. most of them in Montreal, except for the one in Benson Siding, which I <laughs> wanted to in mention. British, is that in British Columbia? Yes. But these tablets, I remember being struck by the way in which in one of these tablets, Abdu'l-Baha lists the places in Canada which the believers need to go to, to teach in. In the provinces of Canada, such as Newfoundland, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, British Columbia, Angava, Kiwaitan, Mackenzie Yukon, and the Franklin Islands in the Arctic Circle. The believers of God must become self-sacrificing and like under the candles of guidance, become ignited in the provinces of Canada. 
But I remember I was absolutely thrilled to see that Abdu'l-Bahá had mentioned my home province of Prince Edward Island, that the son of the founder of the Baha'i faith had mentioned my tiny little province in Canada and had given it some you know, sense of worth and importance and recognition was to me tremendously exciting, that I was part of something that was global, and even the smallest places in this country were had a part to play in that. A few years ago, I saw that uh, the tablets were sent to North America on postcards, and I, I was fascinated by that. And I thought, of course, it makes perfect sense because they were written during the time of war. So there would be no accusation that there would be some subversive purpose in these in these tablets. So it's so sweet to to think of them coming in such a humble way. But the effect that they had when they were unveiled was amazing because it galvanized those who were who were ready to 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 move. On the 28th day of November, 1921, the Master died. 10,000 people representing all of the great world religions mourned his loss. In his will, Abdu'l-Bahá named his 25-year-old grandson, Shoghi Effendi, as guardian of the Baha'i faith. The guardian wrote to Canada in January of 1923. May the small company of the steadfast followers of Abdu'l-Bahá in Canada be filled with the outpourings of the divine grace that are being showered so mightily these days upon the friends of God the world over, and may arise with undiminished fervor to carry out to their fullest measure the last wishes and instructions of our departed Master for that great and flourishing dominion. With all good wishes, your brother and co-worker, Shoki. For nearly 20 years, the Guardian guided the development of an administrative order that would be capable of pursuing the goals of so mighty a plan. Finally, in 1937, the first seven-year plan was launched. Canada began with two local spiritual assemblies, one in Montreal and one in Vancouver. But the plan called for a massive expansion, at least one local assembly in every province. In Montreal, one of the members of Canada's first Baha'i youth group was Mary Maxwell, daughter of May and Sutherland Maxwell. At the age of 26, in March of 1937, Mary Maxwell was wed to Shoghi Effendi. From then on, she was known as Amatul Baha Rahia Hanum. East and West had been united in the Holy Family. Pregnant indeed are the years looming ahead of us all. The twin processes of internal disintegration and external chaos are being accelerated every day and are inexorably moving towards a climax. Just 21 years after the worst war in history, another war, larger than the first, assaulted the planet. In spite of the hardships of the Second World War, the Guardian encouraged the Baha'is to understand the scope of their mission. Such simultaneous processes of rise and of fall, of integration and of disintegration, of order and chaos, with their continuous and reciprocal reactions on each other, are but aspects of a greater plan, one and indivisible, whose source is God, whose author is Baha'u'llah, the theater of whose operations is the entire planet, 
and whose ultimate objectives are the unity of the human race and the peace of all mankind. At the start of the next seven-year plan in 1946, the Canadian community numbered 221 believers with 10 local assemblies. Just two years later, Canada elected its first national spiritual assembly. Canada now stood on its own. In 1953, the Guardian announced the first global plan based on Abdu'l-Baha's tablets. It would end on the 100th anniversary of the declaration of Baha'u'llah in the Garden of Rizwan. It was called the Ten-Year Crusade. There was a tremendous ferment of pioneers. We would telephone all over Canada uh, looking for people who might be interested in pioneering, and the responses that we would get were, were just wonderful. I, mean, uh, I remember, you know, you would, you would have a family who would move from a small town in, in northern Manitoba to uh, St. John, New Brunswick, and would help to establish that Baha'i community. And uh, their children and grandchildren are still there and, and active Baha'is. So I had just become a Baha'i. I didn't know what the 10-year plan was about. I didn't know about Knights of Baha'i or anything else. And uh, to my amazement, three members of the National Assembly immediately said they were going pioneering. And all of the other goals were filled in an extraordinarily short period of time, really in, within a year. Although Canada and the U.S. had been charged with the lion's share of the plan, Baha'is from all over the world rose to do their part. One of them was a tall Swede named Eskil Lundberg, who had been assigned to the Faroe Islands. Eskil was one of those who, you can imagine, isolated in this these barren islands. One day he, he would have to walk down this hill to the post office and get his mail. And he w opened up this cable this one day. It said that from the British National Assembly, the Guardian was dead and he was furious. How could the Guardian possibly be dead? And he, he was angry even when he was telling me this story. And he started walking up the hill to his apartment Guardian walked down the hill, nodded to him and passed by, and he said he knew the Guardian died. News of the Guardian's death on November 4, 1957, struck the Baha'i world an immense blow. With just six years left in the crusade, the Baha'i world turned to those men and women the Guardian had called the custodians of the merciful, the hands of the cause of God. And we were so extraordinarily fortunate. I mean, we had, in those years, the, the visits by individual hands of the cause. Ruhia Khanum herself was here, John Robarts, Bill Sears, who gave enormously of his time. Remember the B.C. <laughs> yes, I was out there at the time. I remember him saying that uh, this person said, somebody that he had been interviewing had said, you know, well, I believe God is dead. <laughs> Bill said, oh, really? That's very strange. I was speaking to him only this morning. <laughs> At the end of the 10-year crusade, the hands of the cause announced that the plan had been a tremendous success. In Canada, a wave of enrollments among First Nations helped to secure the victory. Of the 63 local spiritual assemblies, Nine of them were on native reserves. 
one of the things that's very notable in the tablets to Canada are these, uh, in a sense, I guess you could say prophecies regarding the indigenous peoples of North America and their importance in, um, in, you know, in the development, not, not just of the Baha'i community, but of society as a whole. In April 1963, 56 National Spiritual Assemblies gathered in Haifa to elect the first Universal House of Justice. Here were a cross-section of mankind, every color imaginable. They were all there with their little balance in their hands, and you knew that they wanted to do, at least for one time in their life, something uh, immaculate. With the Universal House of Justice now at the helm, the plans based on Abdu'l-Bahá's tablets continued. There was a tremendous sense of elation. Canada had had, in those closing years of the 10-year plan, an order of magnitude change. And I think that Canada entered the the nine-year plan with a feeling that much more was possible for the Canadian Baha'i community than we would have thought, uh, even if we'd had the same numbers ten years before. been reached and now it's the depth that we're really seeking. So within working within a neighborhood to help build these spiritual communities, to focus on these on these what we call core activities, to educate children on spiritual principles and junior youth, to elevate the devotional character of a community by gathering with people from every background to share the words of God. And if it hadn't been for Shoghi Effendi building on Abdu'l-Bahá's tablets of the divine plan, we would not be where we are today. This is OWRS. Promoting the oneness of God, oneness of religion, and oneness of humanity. Shine your light on me, Baha'u'llah. I'm over here, Baha'u'llah. Shine your light on me, Baha'u'llah. Gloria, Gloria. Shine your light on me. I'm over here, Baha'u'llah. Shine your light on me, Baha'u'llah. Gloria, Gloria. Shine your light on me, Baha'u'llah. I'm over here, Baha'u'llah. Shine your light on me, Baha'u'llah. Gloria. Help me teach your cause, Baha'u'llah. I'm over here, Baha'u'llah. 
Help me teach your cause, Baha'u'llah. Gloria, Gloria. Shine your light on me, Baha'u'llah. I'm over here, Baha'u'llah. Shine your light on me, Baha'u'llah. Gloria, Gloria. Thank you for tuning in. Wishing you health and happiness. See you next time.